Welcome to Clintonville On Call, the podcast of interesting conversations with people who reside or work in the neighborhood of Clintonville, Ohio. I'm your host, Susan Gauntz. Today, I will be interviewing Julie McGorry, a program specialist in the Linguistics Department of The Ohio State University and Clintonville resident. So Julie, you coordinate an annual linguistics program for high school students from all over the world. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this is our 13th year. Um, we bring high schoolers in, like you said, from all over the world, including China, Japan, Korea, um, but still most of the students come in from the United States and they study linguistics for one week, uh, an introductory course, and if they want to, they can continue on for a second week, which is an advanced course in linguistics. It's a, it's a really great program. The kids are really smart. They know about linguistics already. Some of them have made up their own languages. Some of them have studied two or three languages. Um, they get to stay at Ohio State University uh, in non-COVID days, but right now it's virtual. So that makes it actually even easier for people to come from all over the world. But they do come in in the middle of the night. So China is right. I don't know if it's 12 hours difference or what it is. But uh, yeah, they they are participating in the program while everybody else in their family is asleep. So when is it held usually? In June, two weeks in June and two weeks in July. for, and it's nine to five. When it's in person, the kids have social activities in the evening, stay in a dorm. We have graduate students stay in the dorm with them as RAs in the dorm as well. So it's a richer program when it's in person. But like I said, this, this summer, it's gonna be all virtual again. But maybe next year. Maybe next year. All right, so working for a university runs in the family. You work in the humanities department, and your parents worked in the Ohio University English department. Is that correct? Um, my father was an English professor in the department of English. He taught creative writing, uh, and my mother she ended up getting a master's degree at Ohio University, but it was in something more like folklore studies. So uh, we moved to Athens, Ohio, because my father got a position there when I was seven years old. So in the early '60s. Um, to accommodate all the baby boomers. So there were a lot of kids that were going to school at that point in time and they needed faculty, so he was hired then. So he's famous for his books and short stories, including The Hustler, The Man Who Fell to Earth, Mm -hmm. Steps of the Sun, The Color of Money, and most well-known now, The Queen's Gambit. Around what years did he write those? That's a really great question. So he had written The Hustler. That was the first novel that he wrote. I don't exactly. It was either in the late 50s or the early 60s. And that book became a really well-known novel, right, and Mm -hmm. was made into a movie in the early 60s as well. And right after he wrote The Hustler, a year or two later, he wrote The Man Who Fell to Earth. So him having those two novels behind him and actually a master's degree in creative writing um, was what landed him the job at Ohio University. Okay. came with those credentials. Okay. Then he started teaching and teaching writing classes and grading a lot of homework. So he must have graded homework every single night unless they were entertaining or doing something else. So he didn't have a lot of time to write. Mm -hmm. But the other thing was he became an alcoholic during those times and just started drinking quite a bit as well. 
So the combination of alcohol and being a full-time faculty member and a wonderful instructor. He was just a really well-loved instructor. I think he won probably every teaching award he could have at the, at the university. So he gave it his whole heart, but he stopped writing. Yeah. So, and huh. I never thought about this, but I wonder if the university was kind of disappointed to yeah. hire somebody of great fame, but he was only 30 years old. He was really young and, um, so he just ended up writing short stories during mm -hmm. his time at Ohio University. Then he started writing again in the early 80s, so almost 20 years later. But he left Ohio University, uh, divorced my mother, moved to Manhattan, mm -hmm. and started writing again. So while I was growing up, I didn't witness him writing any of his novels, maybe short stories. He played a lot of chess, I remember that too. But he wasn't That's prolific during those 20 years or so that he was at Ohio right. University. I've learned a whole lot about him because I've read a whole lot about him <laughs> since The Queen's Gambit came out, stuff that I didn't even know. Because I know The Queen's Gambit came out in the early 80s. 84 it yeah. came out and he died in 86. Hmm. So he moved to Manhattan when in, I think, 1980 and he wrote basically a novel every year wow. and then he died. It's a sad story, but it's kind of a comeback kid story where, you know, he, I don't know if he had given up on writing or if he, I, I don't really know what he was thinking during those years that he was at Ohio University. My father started writing, he wrote The Hustler and The Man Who Fell to Earth in the end, at the end of the 50s and at the beginning of the 1960s. He didn't write for 20 years because he was teaching and drinking and he had a family as well, right? right? So all of these things kind of got in the way of him writing again. But then in the 80s, he left us, he left my mother, divorced her, moved to Manhattan and then started writing again. So, and wrote some really great novels. So he made a great comeback. Right. And that is really interesting because it mirrors the characters in many of his stories. So Fast Eddie Felsen in The Hustler um, is this arrogant kid who comes to take on Minnesota Fats and loses because he's arrogant, because he drinks too much. and He's a know-it-all, right? right? He doesn't have any finesse or skill or he doesn't have the attitude and the maturity to beat somebody at right. pool that it takes more than skill it takes also personality as well so after fast eddie grows up he takes on minnesota fats again and he wins same thing happens with the queen's gambit and beth Harmon. she becomes a chess prodigy at a very young age but then she falls into alcoholism and also she had lived kind of an isolated life, so she doesn't know anything about the world. Right. So she goes through this period of time where she's just drinking all the time and taking pills. But eventually she realizes in order to become a champion or whatever that she's going to have to straighten up. So she matures as well and she makes the great comeback in the Queen's Gambit. So right. dad did the same thing. The Queen's Gambit is kind of autobiographical in mm -hmm. many ways. Beth Harmon grew up in an orphanage mm -hmm. um, and they gave them sedatives to remain calm. Mm -hmm. And my father spent a year in a convalescent home in California when he was like nine or 10 years old. And they kept the kids there drugged up too so they would remain calm. So 
that definitely that whole story of Beth Harmon and the, the drugs that she gets addicted to, the pills she gets addicted to, the alcoholism that she falls into is all my dad's story. Was he able to enjoy his success in the sense that he see his uh, books turned into movies? And... Yeah. So he was one of those people that was really young and successful, and that was difficult. Like you hear movie stars, that happens right. too. So he's in his late 20s or early 30s, and The Hustler is just a major hit, right? It's mm -hmm. up against West Side Story for Academy Awards. So it didn't win Best Picture, but it won other Academy Awards for that. So he liked the film too. He thought the film did a pretty good job of representing the, uh, the novel. My mother was kind of nervous when she first saw the movie because she was afraid that everybody would recognize her character and the female character in the movie. My father writes about things that he knows about, mm -hmm. so my mom's a character in some of his you know, stories. Uh, he's often the main character, so she was worried about that. But yeah, so he saw The Hustler, Manifel to Earth came out with David Bowie, that was in the 70s. Um, he had a lot of great hope for that. He gave that movie a C minus. So I heard that in an interview that I recently saw as well. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but it's kind of neat. It's a, it's a cult movie now, but it's not as great as the novel is. But nonetheless, it was well known. Right. So he enjoyed fame from that as well. Didn't but, you have a famous David Bowie story? So <laughs> it could have been more famous. So my, when my brother and I learned that David Bowie was going to be in the film, we were just like, I mean, we were so excited because right. we all, we listened to his music. My father didn't really know who he was, but we certainly did. So when my father went down to the set, I think it was in Arizona where they were filming the movie, he had David Bowie call me on the telephone. The so I picked up the telephone, but all I heard was static. It never, <laughs> it never came through. So I can say that David Bowie called me, but the, right. the phone did not connect, unfortunately. That's but great. Interestingly, David Bowie, before he died, put together a musical based on an extension of The Man Who Fell to Earth. So this was just a couple of years ago. So my daughter and I went up to see that, and David Bowie appeared at the end of the... He wasn't in the musical itself, but he came out on stage afterwards. And I was sitting in the front row. So that was really... That was very great. And he died a couple of weeks after that. Wow. So was it called The Man, the man Who Fell to Earth? No, oh. it's called Lazarus. Okay. And it may still be on in England. I'm not sure. But the person okay. that starred in it is yeah. the guy that did Dexter. Okay, so yeah. Dexter can sing anyway. <laughs> so he plays the main character. I don't know if it takes place 10, 20 years later than the novel. And it's the last musical that David Bowie did. So did you get to meet him then? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't stay for the after party. He yeah. went to an after party, so I got to meet Dexter. I wish I could remember what his right. name is. But right. um, yeah, so I got to meet other people in the yeah. musical. So your father is reported to have said that the Queen's Gambit is a tribute to brainy women. <laughs> Would you consider your dad a feminist? Or? So I've been asked this question. So yeah. I've also been asked if I'm that brainy person. Yeah. And I'm not. So his sister oh. is the brainy person. So yeah. he had an older sister, three years older, who was brilliant, who was a journalist. A lot of Beth's character comes from my aunt. My dad did say that some of it came from me, too. Maybe my smart assness or something like that. I would say yes he was a feminist but he was a feminist back in the he wrote this book in the 80s. Things are different now right? right. So what feminism means now is different than what feminism meant then. But yes I would say definitely he was a feminist. 
uh, he also I think that he was he was interested in what life would be like as a as a woman as mm-hmm. well. I mean, he realized that women didn't have the chances that that men had. But he also wrote about underdogs. So right. he, Beth Harmon's a female because she's an underdog in many ways, but one of the main ways because she's a woman. Um, but yeah, I would say he was a feminist. So did your mother also write? So my mom, after my dad died, in, he died in 1986, she started writing memoirs. I think that for her to write while he was alive would be too intimidating. Yeah, right. yeah, my father was, is really a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And my mother, she's from a small town in Kentucky, didn't have an education that was as good as my father's was and never really thought of herself as being a writer. She wrote for different purposes. So she published like two or three, maybe four books about her life growing up in Kentucky and also the women in her life. So her grandmother, her mother, her, me. So those are really nice to have since she's passed away to have these memoirs. So they became quite popular among the people that she knew when she so all these books were distributed to her friends and everything, people that she went to grade school, high school, and college with. And then she joined writers groups, like at Kenyon, she was up there doing workshops up there. So she became a really great storyteller, but she really spoke only about her own experiences. My mother and my father, too, are can-do people, or were can-do people, anyway. So she learned that you could have your own show on public access. So this is Ohio University in Athens. So it's the Athens Network, UOUB or something like that. So it's a PBS station. It's a PBS station. And anybody could produce their own shows and put them up there. So she started interviewing people in the Athens County area because there's a lot of really interesting people that live there. Like a lot of artists live there. It's on the foothills of the Appalachians. So that probably kind of fits in with her experience or her interest in her own life and her own Mm -hmm. past. And and so she became interested in other people's lives as well. Well, weren't your mom and dad both from Kentucky? My dad is actually from California. So he, he was born in San Francisco and his father lost his job during the depression. At the same time, my father developed rheumatic heart. And so he was left to convalesce in a home in San Francisco and his family moved back to Kentucky without him and then sent him a ticket a year later to get on a train I mean imagine this is a nine-year-old boy that was just left and they did horrific things in the hospital um, Mm -hmm. in order to treat the rheumatic heart Um, but we have letters that he wrote during that time that he was there but back to your original question of where he's from He's from a very wealthy family uh, that came over, not on the Mayflower, but they came over early on into this country and were very wealthy. Since then had lost most of their money partially due to the depression. So when the depression hit, my grandfather, my father's father, took the family from um, San Francisco to Lexington, Kentucky. Once my father joined them, he went to grade school in Kentucky. He considers himself from there, but he doesn't, didn't, he never spoke with a southern accent. Did the, so your mom and dad met there in Kentucky? They met in a school, and I can't remember what it was. It was a high school that my mother was teaching in, so she was teaching home economics, and then my father was hired to teach 
uh, writing or maybe science courses, I'm not sure, but he was hired when somebody else either quit or got sick or something like that, so he was like a temporary person, but they fell in love or fell in lust uh, right after they right after they met and that was in Kentucky that's in Kentucky well do you know why they picked up the Queen's Gambit now we really didn't know much about what was happening with the Queen's Gambit becoming a movie because my father had sold the rights to that in 1984 Mm -hmm. um, I imagine for a few hundred thousand dollars or something like that so he sold it outright and then whoever he sold that movie the movie rights to were sold that person sold them to somebody else and then somebody else eventually sold them to somebody else and then it eventually landed with um, Scott Frank uh, like maybe six seven years ago or something like that so it took Scott Frank a while and to make this into a series I think originally he's probably thinking about doing a movie he eventually came to make it into a series and then he sold it to Netflix he didn't sell it to Netflix, but Scott Frank worked with Netflix right. uh, in order to make it into a series. And my brother and I found out about that probably a year before it came out. So we really, we mean, we weren't involved in the movie making of it at all. And we didn't know what kind of series it would be until yeah. we saw previews of it. Then it was like, well, this looks like it's going to be pretty good. But it came out at the right time during oh, COVID. Yes. You could play chess at home. You don't have to go anywhere. Everybody was buying up chess boards after that. My brother and I were, I mean, we're really happy. I mean, Netflix has been great. I mean, I haven't worked with them or whatever, but I mean, I have a website uh, for my father and they've given us rights to use pictures from the series and everything. So my experience with Netflix has been great. People say, well, are you upset that you didn't have the movie rights or anything? No, I'm not upset. It's pretty great having a famous father, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm thrilled with the whole thing. So what's your website? It's waltertevis.org. When the Queen's Gambit came out, and a lot of people then are interested, uh, were interested um, in publishing the Queen's Gambit in multiple languages. So it's out in like 40 to 50 different languages right now. Every uh, former country of the Soviet Union has yeah. published the book in its language because chess is such a popular game to play right. in Eastern Europe. Well, great. and the new documentary came out, WKET in Kentucky. So they did a great documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, they started it a couple, right, again, when the movie came out, we were, my brother and I were contacted and asked if we were interested in doing a documentary. We were like, sure. So they did a great documentary on my father's life. And they also dug up old video of him interviews that I had never seen before. And that has been wonderful. So they were at the archives at Ohio University. They found these tapes. And you'll see, if you watch the show, you'll see my dad sitting yeah. in the TV room in our house when I was just a kid. And they're wonderful to have. Right. It's been great for my kids, my grandkids. And did they interview you for this documentary? Yes, so my yeah. brother and I are in the documentary. Okay. Okay. And um, they also interviewed a student of his and other people that know quite a bit about his work. So they talk about his family, his challenges in life, his alcoholism, basically everything you're asking me now. Right. There's a lot of that information in in the uh, right. in the documentary, plus all these pictures that we've gathered up from various sources of him when he was a child, mm-hmm. um, up to you know right before he died. And it's called Walter Tevis: A Writer's Gambit. 
So there's rumors that they're remaking The Man Who Fell to Earth. Is that true? Not a rumor. Yeah. It's actually happening. Showtime has, I believe, uh, completed a series based on The Man Who Fell to Earth. It takes place in the future beyond what the novel talks about. It has the character Newton in it, but he's an old man at this point and not the major character. So I believe they've sent somebody from the planet that Newton's from. There's never mention of the name of that planet. Um, But they're again sending somebody here to, I think, help save the planet. Okay. Um, And that's part of the storyline in the book as well. So some of the themes might be uh, similar, but I really don't know. So I think 10 parts. Same thing that that book my father so the movie writes outright Mm -hmm. so i have no involvement in the showtime series yeah but i'll watch it yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly we look forward to watching both shows so the documentary and the man who fell to earth that's right yeah so is there anything else you want to add uh no it's been really an exciting time um i hadn't read all of my father's work before but now i have we're publishing a book with all of his short stories. Great. Um, so I've gathered those up from Playboy, yeah. Red Book, other places that they were published in, um, so that we can compile those into one set of short stories. So that'll be coming out next year. Great. What's the name? Do you have a name? I think it will be called The King is Dead, which is the title of one of the short stories in the anthology. Okay. Well, thanks so much. You're welcome. For joining me in the yeah. discussion. And I appreciate you sharing your memories <laughs> and experiences with us. I appreciate you listening to the second podcast of Clintonville On Call. I'd like to thank Julie McGorry again for talking about her life and memories of her father, author, Walter Tevis. Jamie Moriarty created the music for Clintonville on Call. If you want to hear more from this local artist, look them up.